0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Almost 25 years ago, on the 10th of April, 1998, the Good Friday Agreement was signed. Alistair Campbell, writer, communicator, consultant, podcaster, uh, strategist, former advisor to Tony Blair, was there. And he joins me now. Alistair, good morning. Hi, Pat. How are you? I'm very well. Um, I must ask you about Scotland, first of all. Um, You lamented the passing out of office of Nicola Sturgeon. What do you make of yesterday's developments?
1: Oh, extraordinary. Extraordinary. I mean, there has been, excuse me, there have been these mutterings and mumblings about the financial investigation, the investigation into the finances of the SNP, uh, but I think a few weeks after her departure from office, a few days actually after her departure from office, to see her home sort of surrounded by police and tents and all that stuff was was pretty remarkable. I guess we have to be a bit careful what we say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think on the politics of Scotland as well. I mean, I've I've been sensing for a while that things are perhaps moving back Labour's way a little bit, not to anything like it was in the past when you know when we were in power and you talk about 25 years ago back then labor was kind of rampant and all-powerful in scotland and that's changed but i think it won't go back to that but i do sense that actually there's perhaps a, a real opportunity for, for for change in scotland and and possibly the this just being a sign of what happens when one party becomes too powerful and is in power for too long
0: Yeah. And irrespective of what the outcome of this uh, police investigation is, uh, it will have damaged the SNP one way or the other, even if there is some sort of rational explanation for the disappearing funds which eludes us at the moment.
1: Well, I think that, you know, Hamza Youssef, new leader, new first minister, and anybody who's new into that kind of leadership role wants to be able to start out on a positive agenda of their own and really get established. And, you know, he was out yesterday. The only thing anybody wanted to talk about was what's happened to Nicola's husband. So that is a it's a, it's a terrible position for him to be starting off in um and i and i think that the the other thing that that happens in these in these circumstances is that sometimes just a a mood develops and moods change and and uh it does it does really feel like the end of an era um but it also feels like that there's going to be an overhang that will possibly damage the successor too
0: now speaking of new leaders i mean tony blair <laughs> when he took over as british prime minister felt he could help to fix northern ireland where did that belief come from i think partly from his
1: analysis and the 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 thinking that he'd done beforehand. we you know don't forget that tony had been thinking about northern ireland in opposition he'd been watching what john major was trying to do i do think the i've just seen the the twitter post that you guys put up in advance of me coming on the program, and you had a you had a picture of the the Good Friday Agreement with all the signatures on it, and um, and you talked about the the kind of collection of personalities, and I think there was something about Tony's personality and Bertie Ahern's personality as a new Taoiseach in Ireland as well, of coming in and just thinking big bold things were possible, and Tony I think had a I think Tony's great strength as a politician and as a as a thinker. Is that he likes to take really complicated situations and try to make them simple, and the simplicity of our strategic framework was basically there has to be a principle of consent for there can't be any constitutional change in the, in the north without the people wanting it, but there has to be a genuine universal acceptance of the importance of equality for, for nationalists. They were the strategic principles, and everything else flowed from that. But it was a desire. It was. I mean, I talked to Bertie Hearn recently for, the, for our podcast and I know Bertie's done his own podcast series too about the Good Friday Agreement. And I think it is a moot point as to whether if Tony Blair had decided, you know, halfway through the second term or into the third term, let's try and do Northern Ireland. Let's try and get some sort of, you know, I don't think it would have worked because I think sometimes timing is important, political power political credibility the authority that you have in the bank these things are all important and there was something magical about the way that the good friday agreement came together because you had this sort of extraordinary collection of people who were all bringing different things to the table but it somehow worked and you know that's i've often said i I couldn't put my finger on why it worked but it did
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, you talk about the Clinton making a difference, George Mitchell making a difference, Chris Patton, one of the unsung heroes in relation to policing. And then, of course, Tony Blair and uh, Bertie Hearn. Uh, you know, even in grief, he was there uh, to the last uh, to get the thing over the line. Looking back at the headlines from the week and, you know, the Belfast Telegraph, for example, uh, every front page was about the negotiations. Often we look back on these things and say, oh, it was inevitable anyway, a bit like a trade union negotiation. You know, they'll fight until four in the morning, then they'll all get tired and sign it. Was it really touch and go?
1: Oh, it was totally touch and go. And there were there were various moments where we were actually, I remember at one point sort of sitting down and Tony Blair had asked me to kind of write out um, a, a kind of a, a sort of trying to position how we would explain if we actually went home without an agreement because if you remember when we when we first arrived george mitchell having tabled his paper i don't think the 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 chances of i don't think there was that much optimism that this was going to lead to where it led but then what happened was it a feeling developed that it was going to lead there and you had this Extraordinary kind of sudden build-up of media suddenly started arriving from all over the world, and there was a sense of something really happening. And, of course, by then, if it hadn't happened, the sense of defeat and anticlimax would have been enormous. But, no, that was very real, and it, it was actually quite real right to the end. Um, yeah. You know, there were, there, was, there were issues in the last hours that suddenly picked up and took on a kind of uh, significance within within the, the negotiations that, was, that, was in, that felt enormous. And, no, there were a lot of ups and downs. I mean, uh, before I came, uh, came on, I just had a quick flick through my Irish diaries just to sort of, you know, get my brain in the right place. And, you know, there's a moment not that long, a few hours before the end, when Tony Blair's literally kind of punching the table. And uh, Tony's not a big swearer. He's not like me, but he was letting off the F-words like nobody's business because it was just like it felt like it was stuck.
0: Yeah. Now, it's said that you pleaded with David Trimble. If you don't accept this document, you said we'll all be crucified. People will not understand. Did you have to strong arm David Trimble? I don't know if
1: strong arm is the right word, but I think that we were very conscious of the fact that for him in particular, this was an enormous risk uh, politically, personally. Um, and you have to say that David Trimble... You know, who I think everybody accepts was a was a could be a difficult mercurial character, but without him, there would be no Good Friday Agreement. Absolutely, no doubt mm-hmm. about that. And he, he of all of them, I mean, Adams and McGuinness, they were they were taking risks, and all of the everybody was taking risks of some sort. But I think for David Trimble, it was it was perhaps bigger than anybody else. And you felt the tension around David all the time. You felt the pressures that he was under. Um, But I think it was that sense of getting to that point where people had to kind of make a leap together. Um, And he did. In the end, he did. And uh, I think history is rightly will be very, very kind to him for that.
0: But he uh, knew, I suppose, at the same time, in the same way as uh, John Hume probably knew that bringing Gerry Adams in from the cold might uh, do for his party, and it certainly weakened ultimately the SDLP, David Trimble must have known that many people of a different view might go to the DUP if he took that leap, which he did.
1: And of course, don't forget that at the time, I remember one of the midnight deadlines, we had all these deadlines that came and went, and we had a midnight deadline. And at the midnight deadline, Ian Paisley and and his supporters were literally, Ian Paisley Sr. and his supporters were literally at the gates. They were literally at the gates, sort of <laughs> making a lot of noise. So yeah, David Trimble absolutely knew that that was a risk. Um, and I think, I suppose, when we were saying, look, people won't understand this, uh, if we don't do it now, I think partly we, we were all trying to give each other the, the the courage, if you like, that was needed to take that, that final step. And I think it is to his credit that even with that as a legitimate calculation, by the way, I think it is a perfectly legitimate calculation for a politician to say, if I do this, then yes, it's possible the the kind of the whole momentum and the history of the thing and the sense of achievement, that that could have helped him politically. But equally, it's perfectly legitimate for him to be sitting there thinking, yeah, but, you know, it could go the other way for me. And, of course, and, and likewise, you say, with John Hume, I think John Hume is, uh, you know, again, to be to be recognised that he, the change that he uh, was urging, did have, what could have, and indeed did have, an impact on his own party that was was tricky and you know so i think this this is what makes the whole story so fascinating and makes Mm. the characters within it so central to that story it's very rare for politicians to do that to do things that deep down they know are going to damage their political party
0: Um, Finally, I suppose we should look to to what Tony uh, Blair referred to as the external context in which both uh, the UK and Ireland uh, enjoyed, and that was membership of the EU, which meant a lot of things were going to happen uh, that would dissipate the effect of a border anyway, and uh, maybe the reasons for, uh, you know, the visible reasons for conflict. And of course, that's uh, been turned on its head with Brexit. Mm.
1: Well, it's interesting when you were doing the introduction and you said, you know, people look back and say, yeah, well, it was obviously going to happen. And I'm often reminded of that, that uh, wonderful quote from Nelson Mandela, everything is, everything is impossible until you make it happen. And it felt impossible. It felt that what we were trying to do was impossible. And likewise, if you're a Brexiteer, over the last several decades, it probably felt impossible to get the UK out of the European Union. And I don't think at the time that we were doing the Good Friday Agreement, to be absolutely frank, I don't think a single person who was involved would ever have thought that within, you know, two decades we would be out of the European Union. And yet that happened. That's another impossible thing, if you like. That has happened. Now, I happen to believe that whereas people will look back at the Good Friday Agreement and think that was a good thing, that was the right thing, I think increasingly people are looking back at 2016 and thinking that was a bad thing, that was the wrong thing. And it has had implications. Um, I saw yesterday Bill Clinton. Was quoted somewhere as saying that you know Brexit did kind of you know disturb, destabilise, etc. the 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 good workings of the Good Friday Agreement. And the fact is that for all the the sort of you know the praise that's heaped upon Rishi Sunak for the Windsor Framework, we still have a situation where the institutions in Northern Ireland are not up, and we have a historical fact that since devolution, the institutions have been down more than they've been up, and that. That says to me that you know we cannot take anything for granted, and I think that one of the reasons why i 'm not a great one for sort of constantly having great big celebrations of the past and what have you, but I think the reason why this twenty fifth anniversary and all the all the you know the, the, the events that there are going to be, which are many and and varied, and the main one I think is going to be queen 's University in Belfast, and now of course the news that joe biden 's coming over to Ireland and, uh, and so forth. So there's going to be a lot of focus on this. But these things to me are only important if they actually allow people to focus not on the past, but how you can actually keep this, going, this thing going in the right direction into the future.
0: Alistair, thank you very much uh, for your time this morning. Alistair Campbell, writer, communicator, consultant, strategist, former advisor to Tony Blair and uh, co-host with Rory Stewart of the podcast The Rest Is Politics.